Okay, good morning. Good to be uh, with, good to be together again and be good to look at God's Word. We're starting a, uh, a very brief series of how-tos um, and uh, today we're looking at how to know God's guidance. Next week, how do we, how do we grow in our devotional life? And then thirdly, how do we look at, uh, how do we respond to difficulties and disappointments in our lives? So three sessions which are meant to be practical. How do we? Well, the answer to all hows these days is Google, isn't it? You know, how do you do anything? You look it up on Google and you'll probably get a video that shows you how to change the, the tap washer, how to put up your tent, how to... I don't know, anything and everything it seems is Google is the answer for. And if you actually put in the question how to know God's guidance into Google, you will get 4.9 million sites that you can look at that bear some, uh, give some sort of answer to that question, and I haven't looked at any of them. But right, but how do we know God's guidance? A few, uh, about a month ago, we were, Kim and I were in Turkey to visit our son and daughter-in-law who moved to Istanbul, and we were walking through the uh, precinct close to where they live. And in the precinct, there was this um, uh, creation, this statue, I don't know if you call them statue, um, uh, a sculpture of a huge eagle in the, uh, standing in the, in the precinct. I said, that's a bit odd, you know, a bit odd. And they said, uh, yeah, well, one is it's the, um, it's the symbol of the local football team, Besiktas, which are champ Turkish champions, if you're interested in football. And, um, and secondly, that's why we're here. I said, <laughs> I get the first, I don't really understand the second. They, they said, well, we're here because we, when we moved as a group of people to Turkey and to Istanbul, that we wanted to live on the, on the eastern side, uh, European side of the city, huge city, twice as big as London. That's, it's really big. <laughs> But we didn't quite know where God wanted us to be. And obviously, not many Christians, not many churches in Istanbul. And so we were praying about where would God want us to live as a community and to, to start working from. And one of the people had, as we were praying, she said, I have a picture of an eagle. She said, I don't know what it means. I know there's verses in the Bible about eagles, whatever, but I have a picture of an eagle. That, if that makes any sense to anybody, um, fine. <laughs> Well, it didn't until they were walking through this precinct a few days later. And they saw this eagle there, great big thing. They said, well, maybe this is where God wants us to be. And so they've decided to move into Besiktas. Now, I don't know what you think about that. That may not be the way that I might work or you might work. But they felt that was part of God's guidance for them in terms of being in that particular community. And I guess we could maybe later share many perhaps slightly weirder or even more weird and wonderful ways in which we've known God's guidance. I guess the truth is we could also share, I certainly could, times perhaps even now when we struggle to know God's guidance. We're not sure what to do and we're not sure how to work things out. I want to talk about two things this morning fairly quickly <coughs> if possible. They're both big, well, certainly the first one is a huge subject. I want to talk under the headings of renewed minds and secondly, right choices. Renewed minds and right choices. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to, to some well-known verses in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. 
verses 1 and 2, read as follows. Therefore, that's in view of all that Paul has written in the preceding chapters about Jesus Christ, his sacrifice. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to prove, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, God has a will. God has a purpose and purposes, and they are good, and they're perfect, and they're absolutely wonderful. And you know what? His intention is that we know and experience and become part of those purposes of God. That's his plan. That's his will for us. I don't know if you saw the news yesterday. This was literally as I was still, still looking at some of these things. Um, Stephen Fry is is under investigation in Ireland for possible blasphemy. It won't come to anything, I'm sure, and I'm not going to get into the discussion of whether it's blasphemy and what should happen and all the rest of it. But you may remember back in 2015 when he uh, was on a TV show in Ireland. Uh, this is just the short extract. He said some other things as well. He said, when he was asked, he w- the question was, what would you say, Stephen, when you meet God at the gates of heaven? And he said... Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world full of injustice? Why should I I have any respect if that's the God that you're talking about? And that's basically that question, isn't it? How can there be a good God? If he's God, why is it like it is? And if he's good, why is it like it is? And if you'd come to a Life Matters a few months ago, there was a very good answer to that question, which I'm not going to give. I can't remember most of it, of course, but I'm not going to give now. And to some extent, we can understand what Stephen Fry is saying, can't we? We say, you see, we say that God is sovereign. He's over all things. He's in charge. What he says will happen. We also say he's a God of love and compassion and goodness. And then we look around at the world in which we live and it doesn't match up. We see a world that is indeed full of injustice and selfishness, as Stephen Fry was saying. So how would we answer Stephen Fry? Well, just let me get two things because this relates to what we're going to say about renewed minds. We need to understand that when we talk and when the Bible talks about God's will, it's talking about two different things. One is God's sovereign will. And God is sovereign. What God says will happen. Right? And we can look at that throughout the Bible, or even right from the beginning, can't we? When God spoke into creation, it happened. just happened. Could not do anything else, because God's word will happen. Will take effect. And uh, we can look at lots of other examples in the Old Testament and New Testament about God's Sovereign will. It happens. There's no other alternative 
because God is in control and what he says comes to pass. That is different from God's revealed will. God's revealed will. And right through the Bible, we see God's revealed will. We see what God would want to happen. We see that in things like the Ten Commandments about how we should live. You know, don't do this, do do this. And there are many other examples, other references we could turn to in the Old Testament and New Testament that tell us what God would want to see happen. That is his revealed will. The problem is that his revealed will is dependent upon our exercise of our free will. God has given us a free will. So though he says, this is what I would want to happen, and yes, he could exercise his sovereign will and make it happen, he says, this is what I would want to happen, this is what I would want for you, but you have a free will to choose. Ultimately, God's purposes will come to bear. So, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. That means holy, given over to him, separate, pure, cleansed. And he goes on to say sanctified, and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's what God's revealed will is, that we don't engage in sexual activity outside of what he's planned for us, outside of marriage. He says, but the reality is, is that we choose otherwise. We think we know better. We think it's in our interest to avoid that and do what we want. And then there are consequences and broken relationships and people are hurt and children don't have parents and hurt and dysfunctionality and all the rest of it. And then like Stephen Fry, we say, how does God allow such things to happen? Well, the reality is because we've exercised our free will not to follow the revealed will of God. You can know God's will. We can know God's will if our minds are renewed, if they are made new. And to do that, we need, as that verse says, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because our minds, you see, are not, are not clear and open and pure. They're corrupted. The Bible uses various words, debased um, uh, and, and uh, darkened in Ephesians 4.18. You see, we don't just need more knowledge in our minds. What we need is we need new minds. Yeah? The whole thing wasn't that if only we educate the whole world, we'll become more civilized, we'll become, and we'll, we'll create better societies. Now, I'm all for education and civilization in that sense. But the truth is that in itself will not produce the utopia that people thought that it would. And many years, years ago, people believed that. There aren't many people today who believe that because they see what's happening. Education is not producing civilization, is not producing justice and a wonderful world in which to live. We only have to, we realize that. So it's not about getting more knowledge. It's about having a new Mind And how does that happen? Well, we could, that's a sermon in itself, isn't it? We need to recognize God's mercy, what God has done in Christ Jesus, as we've been thinking earlier on this morning. We need to respond to that. We need to repent. We need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to turn to Christ in faith. We need to yield our lives to him. 
offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and then God will, God will start and continue that process of transformation in our lives that renews our minds so that we know what God's will is. The problem is that. That is the real guidance. The real problem is we don't want to know God's guidance because ultimately we don't want to yield our lives to him. We want to stay in control. We want to make our choices, what we think is best for us. And then we say we don't know God's guidance. We need to have renewed minds. Renewed minds, and that of course is an ongoing process. What will renewed minds do for us? Well, first of all, if we have a renewed mind, we will want to know what God's will is. We will actually want to know what pleases him. You see, we can say we want to know, but we don't really want to know. And that's through the way through the scriptures, isn't it? The Pharisees says they wanted, wanted to know God's will. They didn't really. They wanted to do what they thought was best and right. But when our hearts are changed, we will want to know what God's will is. We all have known, many of us have known that. Many of us have been in love. And love has changed us because all of a sudden we don't just want to do what's best for us. We want to do what's best for somebody else. We want to please them. We want to know what they like. And it's amazing, isn't it, that, that, how that happens. Of course, it's meant to go on happening, guys and girls, but, um, but, but we can all look back to times when we can see that was very real. We would want to know God's will. Renewed minds will also mean that we increasingly will know what God wants. And the Bible, and that will, of course, will much to do with what God teaches through his word. But the Bible doesn't deal directly with lots of issues, does it? It doesn't tell you who to marry. It gives you some guidance, but it doesn't tell you who to marry. It doesn't tell you what job you should do. It doesn't tell you where you should live. It doesn't tell you what church you should attend. Right? Not specifically. It gives guidance on all those and many other things. So how does that work? How does a renewed mind help us to answer those questions? I know a lot about Kim, right? I've lived with her for 41 years or whatever it is. I know an awful lot about her. But there's still things I don't know because the issues and the questions have not arisen. So you could ask me some questions and I might not know the answer to those because I've not actually seen it happen and know what the, how she would respond. But I can tell you I would have a pretty good guess of how she would respond, even to those unknown issues and situations. Why? Because I've got to know what she is like. I've got to know how she works, or I think I do at times. Um, at times I realize I don't know at all how she works. As we get to know God through his word, as we get to know what he's like, we get to know actually how he would want to answer some of those questions. We get to know his character, and that character then can inform our decisions and choices that we make. So we will renewed minds. We'll want to know God's will. We will increasingly know what God wants. And thirdly, we will increasingly be doing what God wants because God will change us from within. Most of our decisions that we make are not planned. Have you thought about that? Most of our decisions, the choices, are not planned. They're not premeditated. They happen, right? So when Kim says something yesterday that I didn't agree with, 
I didn't plan to get angry. That wasn't in, I hadn't got a plan here that said, you know, I'm going to respond like that. I just responded. I wasn't too happy and I let it be known. And that's how many of our decisions are, aren't they? They happen. They just happen. We don't think it through. They just happen. A renewed mind will change us from within that the way we respond in those unthought-out ways will be more like God wants. Renewed minds. And Jesus said, by their fruit you will recognize them. A good tree produces good fruit. A renewed mind will produce good fruits. Become more like Christ. And that is absolutely fundamental. Initially, I was going to just talk about practical stuff, but that actually is the really important stuff. That, we God, that God transforms, that we're transformed by him. And that that transformation process changes the way that we are, changes the way that we think, and turns our hearts towards God and wanting to please him, wanting that his glory be preeminent. Right, re- renewed minds, right choices. Life is full of choices. <coughs> From the moment we wake up, Will I get up now or will I stay in bed for another 10 minutes or whatever? Right the way to the time we go to bed, what time shall I set the alarm clock for tomorrow? Can I afford to put it back another 10 minutes? Life is full of choices. And these choices, decisions that we make, have consequences. They have outcomes. And sometimes the outcomes are very unintended, unexpected, but they happen because of the decisions, the choices that we make. When Graham was crossing that stream at that men's weekend, he probably didn't intend to have to swim across that stream, um, to much to the amusement of the rest of us. It was unexpected. Uh, actually, it should have been expected if Graham, I don't know, is he here somewhere? He's somewhere around. Oh, there he is. Okay, there he is, guys. There's the guy. If he'd had any sense at all, he wouldn't have been doing what he was doing, and then it wouldn't have happened. <coughs> what is the right way? You see, we're not like God. We don't know the future. We don't know the outcomes. We don't know what will happen. But God does. So how do we know what is right? Well, first of all, two things. God, God does want the best for us. We don't often, sometimes we don't believe that. But this is what the Bible teaches, that God wants our best. The very best. The only best is what God wants for us. And we look at that verse and what he's got in Romans 8.28, which we often quote or think about. We know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. What is the good in that passage? Well, if you read on, the good is this. The good is that we become like Christ. Glorified. Justified and goes through that process. And the end of that process is that we are glorified. That we enter in in some way to God's glory. And I don't know what that means or what it looks like really. So God wants our best. And God also wants to use us for his eternal purposes. God wants to use us. So we look at verses like that in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, where we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so we've got these two things. God wants our best and God has purposes for us in this life as well as in the life to come. How do we bring those two things together? What help does God give us to bring those two things together? This last week, I 
put a new barbecue together. The old one had completely rusted away and was useless, and so I bought a new barbecue. And of course, it all comes in bits, doesn't it? And, uh, and Kim knows I'm not very good at putting these bits together. Anyway, the good news with this bar barbecue was that it came with some very clearly printed instructions. It came with pictures as well, and it came with um, a set of tools, all the things that I'd need to do, screwdrivers, spanners, all within this barbecue. Excellent, wasn't it? And no doubt I could have gone on Google and s also looked up a video how to put this barbecue together if I wanted to. And I followed those instructions. If my son had been with me, the one who's in Turkey, he wouldn't have bothered looking at the instructions. He'd have just got everything out of the box and he'd say, oh, I think this goes there, that looks like that, whatever. Sometimes it works for him and sometimes it does not work. And that causes great frustration. For me, I need to work through the instructions. How does God help us? How does God help us? God's given us his instructions. God has given us his word. It's everything that we need is in there. God can guide us in many other ways. And if we look through the Acts of the Apostles, I, I haven't got time now, but we could list probably 20 ways in which God guided those people, all sorts of ways, angels speaking, visions, circumstances, whatever. Many ways God guided. God can guide in any way that he chooses. God has promised to guide us through his word. That is a promise that each and every one of us can claim and can rely on. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, that, um, and talking about that Jesus jumped on now, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, didn't he? The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. How does he do that? Many ways, but mainly through his word. 2 Timothy 4.16, God's word it tells us, teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, trains us, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right choices. I read a book. I've lent it to somebody, so if you've got it, please give it me back. It was called Guidance and the Voice of God by Jensen and Payne, and a book that I've remembered. And therefore, I want to just bring out one or two things that came out of that book. In that book, it talks about three choices, three types of choice that we have to make. The first one it calls matters of righteousness. In other words, what's right and what's wrong. The Bible clearly says that some things are right and some things are wrong. It says do this and it says don't do this. I'm not just talking Ten Commandments here, talking about the whole breadth of Scripture. There is much in there that says this is right and this is wrong. If it's a matter of righteousness, therefore do what is right, and don't do what is wrong. It's black and white. The sad thing is that even then people will try, and we will try, because our hearts are deceitful above all things. At times we will try and say that black is white and white is black. I know several ministers who've left their wives for people to go off with women in their congregations, and they thought that's okay. They've even, one of them, thought that this is what God had told him to do. That cannot be. That cannot be. He's wrong. He might pretend, he might try and justify and all the rest of it, but he's wrong. Until he recognizes he's wrong, he's got a real problem. He's got a problem anyway, but he's got an even bigger problem. Matters of righteousness. Do what is right and don't do what is wrong. But you see, you can do the right thing, but, you can do, but the right thing can still be wrong. How can that be, right? Well, the Corinthians asked Paul a question. Should we eat meat? Should we eat meat? 
That was the basic question. And um, uh, they also asked him about marriage, didn't they? Should we marry? Should we get married? And actually, he said, well, you know, it can be right. This can be right to marry. And sex is a really important thing there. Or you can be right not to marry because you can give more time to God's work. And he gave other things as well. You see, it could be right or wrong in the right, depending on the context. What is your motivation? What's behind your thinking, your decision? If we do wrong in matters of righteousness, then we, we need to repent. Then, so there's matters of righteousness. Secondly, very quickly, there are things that are trivial. We have lots of choices to make that are about trivial things. What clothes do you wear in the morning? I, kn- I did know of a lady, not personally, but I knew someone told me about her, that this lady could not even get dressed in the morning without praying about every item of clothing that she was going to put on. <laughs> the consequence of that was that it took her ages to get dressed in the morning, and secondly, she often looks a complete and utter mess. <laughs> that is a trivial thing, right? You don't need to think about those sort of things. God doesn't mind whether you wear pink or black or whatever it is, or pink and black, right? There are many trivial choices. Just use your sanctified common sense. That, uh, that's what a vicar friend of mine used to talk about a lot. Sanctified common sense. Just do it. Don't spend time messing about trying to work out God's guidance on things that are trivial. We've got matters of righteousness. We've got trivial matters. And then we've got a whole block of things in the middle which come under matters, which they call matters of judgment. Matters of judgment. <coughs> How do we exercise good judgment? Okay, there's much we could say about this, but I haven't got time. But just here's three things, three quickies. First of all, the Bible says to ask God. Ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all. That's his promise, that he will give us wisdom if we truly ask for it. How does God provide that wisdom? In many different ways. Maybe directly from his word, but there's many other ways in which God can make us wise or give us wisdom and judgments, uh, help make right judgments in, in situations. Here's three. First of all, take time. Don't rush decisions that are important. Don't buy that timeshare just because the guy's told you it's the best thing and next week you won't have the same opportunity. Don't rush things. Through Scripture, we see people, who, good people, who made decisions quickly and they were the wrong decisions. Think of David and Nabal. He nearly, got, he nearly killed that guy and all his family because he was so angry at, at his response. It was only because God used his Nabal's wife to stop David. Otherwise, he would have, he would have, he would have, spread, he would have spilled innocent blood. Take time. Secondly, take advice. Many, several verses in Proverbs about this. Here's one. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. You see, we're meant to be a community. Our society emphasizes the individual, individual choice, and all the rest of it. We are meant to be a community of God. We're meant to care for one another. We want to want the best for one another. Why on earth don't we ask each other for advice? Why don't we draw from other people? When I was approached to first approached to come to Gloucester all those four or five years ago, whatever it was, the very first thing I did other than talk to Kim was I went and chatted to two guys in the church, two older men, and said, this is, this is happening, what do you think? 
right? So I blame them actually, right? And you can <laughs> you can blame them too. You can blame them too, because and then after that I shared it with the wider leadership and we talked and we prayed about it. Why don't we ask God's advice about these things, like who should we marry? <laughs> I'm not saying that other people make the decisions for us, but where we should live, what job we should do, how we should use our time, spending. Why don't we share and take advice from one another, from people that we trust, people who care about us and the people who care about God's will being done? Take time, take advice, and finally, take notice of your motivations. God's interested in our hearts. Interested in our hearts. He's interested in how we are more than what we do. He's interested in what we become more than where we live what job we do. So take notice of your motivations. I've had conversations, that, and you probably have as well, with people over the years who felt called to things, called to go, called to go and live somewhere, called to go to another church, called to whatever it is. Sometimes those call-tos are just, and I've, and I've done it myself, this is true for me, I, could, I haven't got time, but, but we can say we're called to something. Really what we're trying to do is say we're trying to escape from something. We're not really called to go. We just want to get away. And so we say God's called us to do something else. What's our motivation? So take time, take advice, and take notice of your motivations. Finally, sometimes we exercise poor judgment. The thing about matters of judgment is they can't be right. In one sense, they can't be right or wrong. Right? Matters of righteousness, they're right or wrong. Everything else is a matter of judgment. Got that? So in itself, it can't be right or wrong. There may be other things that come into that, but principally, sometimes we don't make the best choices. Sometimes we make poor choices for whatever reasons. And there will be often our outcomes and consequences of those poor choices. Just remember that God still loves us, still wants the best for us, his, his, his plans for us are not a map. Some people think that it's a map and that you must turn left here, right here, left here, and if you, fought, if you get it wrong, you've got to go back to the beginning. It's not. God doesn't give us a map. God gives us a compass. The direction is what he's interested in. I don't believe there's just one plan. I don't believe there's just one woman that I should have married and that's it. It's been great. Thank you, God. But I'm sure I could have married many people. Whether many people would want to marry me, that's a different matter. But... God gives us a compass, not a map. Renewed minds, right choices. Let's try and seek God's guidance for our lives.